I'm Carrington J. Tatum, Editor-in-Chief of the University Star, and you're listening to a Star Podcast. Around here, when you win, it isn't good enough. You know, but when you lose, damn sure ain't good enough. So so what is good enough? You guys need to tell us what is good enough. I guess you get paid to cause controversy, but in this locker room, we're not going to help their cause. You, you write that in the paper. You write that. You make money off that. You're carrying on like a legacy, like your last name, you know? The people that did this in the 80s, they weren't doing it just because, oh, they thought it was a cool hairdo. No, they were doing it because they were badass. Hey, welcome to Cats Got Our Tongue. This is a University Star Sports Podcast where me and my staff talk about Texas State and Texas State athletics. My name is Jacob Rodriguez, and I guess to start off this podcast, I want to talk about transitional moments in life. And I'm here joined with verified sports prez, Andrew Zimmel. But transitional moments, I guess, in your life and career because this podcast is going to be done a little bit differently and by someone else for the oh, most part. Yeah, for sure. Joe Montana handed it off to Steve Young. <laughs> you know, Brett Favre handed it off to Aaron Rodgers. Derek Jeter handed it off to Aaron Judge. This is what you're doing with this podcast, right, my guy? Yeah, you know, this is kind of kind of sucks because this is kind of my baby. Built it up and then see it go. But episode seven will be done by Claire Partain, who is my assistant editor, going to be the new sports editor for The Star uh, in the fall, well, summer, fall, and spring, hopefully. I know everybody was probably thinking, like, oh, they brought Zimmel in for the first segment. Now he's taking over the podcast. No, no, no. No, no, no. He's just a personality. <laughs> Fret you not, Larry Ties. Could you imagine? Oh, man. another <laughs> Just another silver bullet in my gun. The attack on Texas State Athletics is terrible. Yeah, but I'm the new editor-in-chief, so that that's fun, I guess. Uh, I'm learning how to do my job right now, actually, and... I wish I could just talk about sports, but now I have to talk about everything. So It's going to be interesting. Plus, we talked a little bit that we're probably going to come out with more podcast ideas in the fall where it's going to be a little bit more, hey, we have the digital version, we have the print version, then we're going to have almost like the audio version of like the story behind the story a lot of times, too, for the University Star. Pretty much, yeah. That's pretty much the goal is to continue to drive us into the digital age and become a true digital daily, which is what the Star is right now. Along with, you know, we're getting a new website, we're getting a new application, and we're trying to do a lot of, like, multimedia things, actually, and the convergence of multimedia, or multiple media, as it were. I will say this, that, you know, I'm doing my little podcast project, and I'm trying to email all these college newspapers and stuff like that, and a lot of their newspapers are really crappy online. So the University Star is probably, probably sits about six and a half, seven on the, is this a good college newspaper website? So I think we've got a little bit of room to grow, but we're a lot better than a lot of other schools. Yeah, and the goal for this new website is, you know, to increase audience engagement by making the paper not look like a paper online, basically. It's interesting stuff. So yeah. transitional period all around. Yeah. So Claire, uh, have fun talking about baseball, track, and the NFL draft results and stuff like that. Uh, Zimmel and I are also recording this from the future, so we're gonna whoosh out of here and then whoosh back in at the end. So. <laughs> Bookend it. <laughs> What's up, everybody? We're taking over Cats Got Our Tongues. I'm Claire Partain, the assistant sports editor, and then I'm here with a reporter. He can introduce himself. Hello, I'm Colton McWilliams, and I've been covering softball, but I'm also going to talk about baseball and football, too. So Yes, exactly. So we're going to start out this podcast with talking about baseball today, uh, namely the sweep against Louisiana this past weekend. So like I said, it's... Been, it was a really good weekend for the Bobcats. We played Louisiana Lafayette, and Louisiana Lafayette's about middle-of-the-road team, and like we said, we needed a really good performance, and well, the Bobcats 
performed their butts off. So first game, they ended up winning 13-9. to And like I said, our bats have been just unbelievable. We ended up starting like the game like 10, 10 to nothing in the top of the fifth. Which, that, honestly, when you get to a game offensively, that's a really fantastic mm-hmm. start. But then our pitching just kind of really fell apart. Like, over the next two innings... Lafayette got it to like 10 to 9, and you're like, oh my gosh. Mm. It, cutting it close. It, yeah, it was cutting it close. You're kind of feeling sweaty, like, oh my gosh, we're actually going to blow this 10 to nothing lead. <laughs> but in the top of the ninth, they finally came came by scoring like three more runs and then getting the save. So game one, it was like, okay, great start to the series. We secured the bag in the first game. Then second game, what is it? It, this is when really our defense came out. We ended up winning the game three to two, and we honestly got all of our runs in the early innings. We got started off with like a two nothing lead in the second inning, then Lafayette came back tying it two two, but then fourth inning, Weatheridge scores on like a bases loaded balk. Mm. <laughs> like I'm sorry, like that that's pretty bad if you score on a balk. Yeah, but. It, our pitching staff did fantastic. Hunter McMahon went a complete game, nine innings, just allowed two runs, two runs, 11 strikeouts. Oh, like wow. Every time you go double digits and strikeouts, mm-hmm. you are doing a really fan-fucking-tastic job. Oh, yeah. Isn't that tied with the most strikeouts in a game this season? I think it is. I think that's what I saw. Yeah. Like I said, McMahon, like, basically giving us the performance. Mm-hmm. And like I said, we came away with game two with the win. So, really important game, game three. We needed the sweep just to stay ahead of UTA, who actually lost and ended up losing their series against Appalachian State. So, okay. this was our chance of, like, oh, yeah, we're going to get first place mm-hmm. in the Sun Belt. And our Bobcats, like, said, came through in the end. We won, ended up winning 10-8. to 8. Our offense finally w- woke up from, like, game two. But we ended up starting the game, like, off really hot. We started 5 to nothing. And I ended up watching this game, like, as I was covering softball, and they were just, like, getting all these hits. And I'm like, okay, this is going to be, we've got this game in the bag. Mm -hmm. And then Louisiana kind of just started chopping away, chopping away. Like I said, got it to, like, 5-4 in the third. And then Texas State responding, got it back to nine runs, making it 9-4. And Louisiana still kept big seventh inning and got it to at least, like, a one-run game. This seems like kind of a pattern with this series, like, with the first game and then mm-hmm. ten runs. Yeah, you can two. see the pattern, just, like, mm-hmm. Texas State finally getting up and yeah. then Louisiana Bouncing getting... back a little mm-hmm. bit, kind of scaring us a yeah. little more. But fortunately, like, our boys, like, ended up finishing the game, and we ended up getting, like, the sweep, which is really was a, a really important win because mm-hmm. now we are one game ahead of UTA for first place. And so coming out of that uh, series sweep, we had the highest win streak in the nation in the NCAA. Oh, right? yeah. At, what, at one point, we had a 10-game winning streak. Right. Like I said, I think it was it was the highest at the time. and mm-hmm. maybe for The highest the, active, I think. The highest active winning mm-hmm. streak. And, but unfortunately, it all came crashing yes. down against UTSA. Now we have to talk about the most depressing <sighs> game. UTSA, our rivals, the trash. We had a... 5-8 loss against them on Tuesday. Um, do you want to talk about that? And what what exactly happened? How did this go down? Oh, that's, our pitching kind of let us down. As when you allow eight runs in a game, like that's a lot to ask for an offense. Mm-hmm. Even though our offense has been like really on fire the past couple of weeks, I don't I can't I don't expect the team to just constantly like oh eight runs let's go capture that. No, you need to. 
an average, like, a formidable, like, run average should be, like, five runs. Mm -hmm. Like, five runs is, like, okay, we can, that's definitely something you can catch, depending on, like, pitching-wise. But like I said, UTSA started out being, like, 2 nothing. I was like, okay, that's not good. But we finally came back, got it to 2-2, but UTSA finally put the gas on the pedal, kind of scored, scored, like, six unanswered, like, runs, which that you can't do when your offense has been struggling. No. Yeah. We made a comeback in the eighth inning. Like I said, we cut it down to three runs, but then that's all our offense can handle. So, like, the losing streak's over, and, like, mm -hmm. yeah, it's sad, but my only, like, takeaway I can get the, with this is, like, it wasn't a conference game. Yeah, like, thank I, God. Yeah, if conference is more important than a non-conference game, yes, it's a... Right, like our downtown mm -hmm. like rival, and like you always want to beat your rival mm -hmm. and potentially like get the series sweep. Mm -hmm. Like that's always good to hang over like your rival, but in the end, like it's a non-conference game. It's right. not going to matter. And like I said, we got a, more important things to worry about yeah. than UT, than little UTSA. Yeah, and I mean, let's keep the record straight. We did beat them twice already this season, mm -hmm. so we technically are still over them this season. Yeah, we got the season like series like over them. Yeah, like, the sweep would just yeah. added like something. Like, yeah, you switch. know, this would have been great, but mm -hmm. yeah. All right, so moving on to softball. Um, so this weekend they or they lost to Houston last. Tuesday, and then they won out with the series in Troy. Is that correct? Yes, yeah, like last Tuesday, we talked about it a little bit on the podcast. Okay, oh yeah, that would have been with yeah, the other podcast. Yeah, to give you a recap, mm -hmm. uh, they were up on Houston, I think like three to one, and then Houston scored like three straight runs in like the top of the seventh, and it was just like kind of deflating, just like, oh man, we almost had them. Uh -huh. But the series against Troy was a really important series because yes. in, the, in the standings, uh, Troy and Texas State are separated about three games. Mm -hmm. So they couldn't afford to sweep because the sweep would have dropped them down to maybe like six. Right, yeah. It was a huge, huge game for us. And so game one, it was, it was oh man, pitcher, pitcher dole basically. Uh, Troy did a really good job pitching. We only got like three hits out of the entire game, which... The you can't let it's a really tough situation, and our pitching mm -hmm. staff did really good. They only allowed three runs, which I think that's a manageable amount. But when you've got really good pitching from Troy, like yeah. there's nothing you can do about it. So they dropped the first game, but in the second game, oh my gosh, they just berated like Troy. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. <laughs> they ended up winning like nine to nothing, like run ruling Troy. Oh, right. And didn't they, uh, Troy left scoreless with both of the next two games. Yeah. Right? The last two games, Troy does not score a single run, which yes. that is an unbelievable job by the pitching mm -hmm. staff. So we like to hear. Yeah. Well, like I said, this was actually the first time Troy had been run ruled by an unranked team all season. So that's oh. a really big accomplishment for sure. But we started off hot. Like I said, Arion Bell and uh, Haley, Haley McKay and, like, Mary Cranick and, like, they these basically, like, four players just, like, pounding the ball, pounding the ball, pounding the ball, and did a really good job. And Tara Alderman got, the, got our home run, which kind of, like, put the nail in the coffin. Like, yeah, I don't think Troy was coming back from this one. But like I said, our pitching stuff, Dahlia Barrera went four innings pitch, only allowed two runs. Two hits and zero earned runs, which a really fantastic job. She ended up getting the win, mm -hmm. and then Megan King closed the game out with like zero strike, no zero hits, zero runs in with one strikeout. So a really good pitching performance and good offensive performance from mm -hmm. our from our Bobcats. And it had to have been good defense too. If it we're was even scoreless. It was really good defense. Like I said, we were 
not making a not making the errors and like shooting mm-hmm. yourselves in the food. It was a really good game. And then the most important game was game three that Sunday. Right. I said we were I said with the win, we got back to just three games under Troy. And with a win, like we could there's a possibility like we could could jump Troy for like a runner up finish, mm-hmm. which that would be like a really big thing heading to the tournament. Right. And you could feel the intensity between both teams. It was like a cat and mouse game, just trying to make moves, trying to get runners in scoring position. And Haley Davis, like she finally broke through. She ended up hitting a home run. And as I was watching, I was like, oh my gosh, this outfitter's about to catch it. And the outfitter goes to catch and the ball just bounces off her glove and goes into the... Oh, that's perfect. And it was just like, (laughs) yeah, we finally scored. It was a big, Big like, sigh of relief. Like, okay, we got a run (laughs) on the board. Like, we... Got a chance to win this game. And then she ended up, like, adding, like, an... No. Oh, yeah. It was Haley McKay ended up an insurance run. She just... A sharp, like, left field single, like, passed the third baseman. And we got another run. And it made it 2 nothing. Mm-hmm. And so, coming in that seventh inning, we got, like, some... At least a little bit of boost. And then Megan King just comes through with us. Four innings pitch. Like, two strikeouts. But she gets the Troy batters to, like, fly out. So, like I said, it was kind of a cool thing. Like, seeing last Tuesday, mm-hmm. they had the lead and just collapsed in the seventh inning and then finally watching them like finally close the game out getting mm-hmm. a really important series get everything win. together mm-hmm. and so now we're uh we're at third and right next to troy right yes we are currently two games out from second place okay so if we uh so we're playing uta over the weekend right yeah. so this is behind troy this is going to be like another important series because right. uta is like i think just a game behind us mm-hmm. So if we get sweeped by UTA, that means we're dropping from third, possibly to like sixth. Okay. So they need to get a series win. But if we end up sweeping UTA, and I think Troy gets possibly swept or maybe just only wins one game, we could be tied and could get like a second place finish, which would be a fantastic job Mm -hmm. by the team because... No one is going to catch Lafayette. Lafayette, right? They're just like impeccable it, it this is, season. They they have been like unbeatable this season. Mm-hmm. They've only lost like four com- That's what I thought. Regular season games and like mm-hmm. undefeated in conference. But if we get to the championship game and it's with Lafayette, we only need just one game to win. Mm-hmm. And that, I think that's what matters. Like getting that one extra, getting the chance there, getting one chance to beat Lafayette mm-hmm. just one time, and then. I said stealing, basically stealing a bid uh-huh. to go to the NCAA tournament for like the fourth straight year, which be that is a major accomplishment. That's a huge deal. And for uh, Texas State fans who are just learning about softball, this is something that really we want to bring awareness mm-hmm. to. Yeah, I want to bring awareness to the softball team because like they are doing really mm-hmm. good things. Like, like going to possibly going to four straight. NCAA tournaments, let alone three, is a major accomplishment in the Sun Belt turn in the Sun Belt Conference. Mm-hmm. Considering we're just a mid-major conference, we usually don't get like at-large bids and all that stuff. But the fact we're consistently getting into the NCAA tournament should be a big thing that needs to be recognized. Like we are, we got like a great softball program here, and they need we need to give them the recognition. Like they need to be deserved. And the uh, the exciting thing about the Sunbelt Championship Tournament is it's actually going to be hosted here in San Marcos. Yeah, in San Marcos, baby. Mm-hmm. So we need everyone to come out, right? Yeah, Everybody we needs need, to support. We need everyone to show up for mm-hmm. our Texas State softball team. Like I said, it's, it's rare, we rarely get a chance to see like a conference like tournament 
in St. Marcus, yes. and just the walk to like the stadium mm-hmm. and instead of the drive like to Louisiana mm-hmm. or like South North Carolina, South Carolina, yeah, exactly. Georgia. Like no state lines need to be crossed, you know, classes are out. So you have no excuse mm-hmm. really. Everyone should be out there. See our most consistent athletic program. Yeah, honestly. it is really yeah. a, like besides volleyball. Yeah. Like softball has been a consistent like winner here mm-hmm. at Texas state and we, they need y'all support. Yeah. It's a really fun like sport to watch. And mm-hmm. like these, Women have just been like a really joy just watching them. And then considering how they start, they didn't start really good in the beginning of the season, but now they're finally coming in their own and they right. are, they have a chance to steal a spot. So I said, support the Bobcats. Like they need all the help they can get. Mm-hmm. Exactly. All right. So we're going to move on to track now, which is actually my beat. It's my expertise. So I guess I'm just going to start with a spiel, I guess. Right. Um so Texas State is having a bye until the um, the conference meet, which is going to be on May 10th and 11th. Um, they're pretty hot right now. Um, the great thing about watching the team, I like to go to all the home meets, including the classic that was uh, two weekends ago. Um, the great thing about the team is all across the uh, the track and field, everyone is going out and everyone is getting consistent um, standout performances. I mean, we've got some people like us. Tramisha Hardy, who was a senior, who's a senior this year, um, and she just consistently every single year, she beats school records. She uh, stays at number one in the conference, so it's going to be really exciting to see her coming into the uh, tournament. Uh, currently in the 200 meter, she has the school record and the Sun Belt record with a 22.72, and her goal is to hit 22.7, so we'll see what happens there. Um, but she's definitely exciting to watch. Unfortunately, the meet is not going to be in Texas. It's going to be in Arkansas, so uh, nobody's going to be able to really go up there unless it's a you know you really want to make that commitment. Mm-hmm. But we've got a lot of different athletes that are um, you know consistently going to number one, and so it's going to be really exciting to see uh, exactly where we stand um, with all the other conference teams. What do you think our chances about winning the Sun Belt Championship in track and field are? Honestly, I think that's pretty decently high. Okay. Um, so I, it's kind of hard to really look at the stats for yeah, track. Yeah. Uh, it's a little different than like uh, the other ones. Cause, yeah, because it's like right, you have yeah. the information right there. Track mm-hmm. is just like you have to find go out and find like individual like mm-hmm. times and all no, that. No, exactly. Stuff. And um, the big thing is like, you know, you don't play, you know, different Sunbelt teams throughout the... No, that's not how it works. You're basically, like, running against, like, Division One, but then you're also Division Two, Division mm-hmm. Three, and then you get to the big conferences and then the mid-majors, exactly. and, like, it's really, like, a really variety of, like, yes. athletes you're competing against. Yeah, so they'll be competing against, like, UT, RGV, and then UT all in one week or something. So mm-hmm. it's really crazy to see all that. Um, but some of the things I've been looking at statistically to see kind of where we stand... Um, I looked at all the top 10 spots in the Sun Belt, and we were at the third most uh, top 10 spots. Okay. Which is pretty a pretty good uh, mm-hmm. thing, I think. Um, and I think we were behind Troy, and I don't remember the other team. So, uh, but definitely, we uh, like at the Bobcat Classic, we got 22 uh, top 10 Sun Belt spots just in that That's meet That's good, alone. yeah. So, uh, every single meet, we're putting more on the board. And we've got some players, or some athletes, like uh, Ben Collerton who's ranked in five separate events um 
alone in the top ten. Okay. So, is he the decathlon? Yeah, he's the okay. decathlon yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. So he's number one in decathlon, and he has a school record for that. You know, no big deal. But he's also <laughs> in the 110 hurdles. He's, like, I think number two now. Wow. So basically, um, you know, we've got a lot of athletes that are just, like, really talented. So I think we have a pretty good chance. I think we'll be in the top three for sure. It's going to be mm-hmm. kind of a race to see who gets number one. And uh, like I said, I haven't been able to really compare since everybody's all yeah. apart the whole time. Mm-hmm. But it'll be really cool to see for sure. Uh, do you think any athletes have a chance to make it to, to national meets? Or? Yeah, I think um, so with Tremisha Hardy, I think she has a pretty good chance at the mm-hmm. 200 meter because, um, yeah, she she just broke our school record, which is incredible. Um, and then Ben Collerton, who I already mentioned, he's ranked, I think, number 24 in the nation in the decathlon. Okay. So I think yeah. he could definitely make the spot. Um, and then we've got Taman Johnson, who does um, shot put and disc, and he's also number one in shot and mm-hmm. disc in the Sun Belt. So I think he has a good chance. Um, some other athletes, uh, Leslie Romero in the steeplechase, which I uh, for people who don't watch track or collegiate track, is one of the wildest events I've ever seen. Um, I got a sister who actually runs steeplechase, oh, really? and it's like, yeah, it is the craziest thing because yeah. you see them like go over like the hurdle, but then you have the pit, and you're like, what? They're like, where did that come yes. from? Yeah, when I first saw them splashing in water, I was like, who didn't clear out the field? Like, who didn't clear the track off? Yeah, yeah they'll jump from a hurdle into the pit of water, and then they do it for 3,000 meters, which is pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. But Leslie M- Romero is another one who has the school record and who's number one in the conference, and she also won in the indoor season. She won the 3,000 and the 5,000 meters, so she's a big deal. She's mm-hmm. not playing around. So I think she has a good chance as well. But, yeah, it'll be really cool to see all those players come together and actually get to, like, be right neck and neck with Mm -hmm. our competition and see what happens. All right, so now we're bringing in reporter Sean Achando to talk about the football team. Um, So this past couple days we saw Keenan Brown. He didn't get drafted, but he did uh, get signed to the Rams this weekend. And then we're going to talk about the prospective season. Yeah, so uh, so pretty much Keenan Brown goes undrafted uh, and signs with the Rams. Uh, some of the it, it was kind of unexpected. Uh, I thought to me, I thought he was going to get drafted maybe late sixth uh, or or seventh round, but but I mean he played for a, a smaller school. Um, the offense wasn't really that great last year, so um, there were some tight ends that were drafted ahead of him. Uh, Elise Mack from Notre Dame, Isaac uh, Nuada from Georgia, and Forrest Moreau from LSU, but they played for Georgia, Notre Dame, and LSU. Yeah, so, like a lot of the big school, like all the tight ends play for like really big schools, and considering King Brown's like just from like, uh, I hate to say this, but little old Texas State, like I don't think his draft chances were going to help him. Yeah, yeah, and also like he, he played for... Um, Two different quarterbacks, Tyler Vitt, he was inconsistent, uh, he, and uh, uh, Willie Jones, who was often hurt. So, like, you, you had an offense that, that was, <laughs> it was, it was bad. But he was, he was, he was, he was facing a lot of double teams after that U, UTSA game last year. Like, a lot of defenses were were game planning for him and really only him because he was, he was the main weapon. Yeah, it's kind of sad when you're when you you're tied in. It's basically centered around the entire offense. Uh, yeah, that's it, that's not a good sign. And, and another another thing uh, where where I knew he was going to slip was after the combine. He didn't really blow anyone away. Like he he ran an average forty time. He did seventeen on the bench press, and it just it, 
he didn't he would have had the pop to really get drafted and like you like the 40 time if you would have got like a four six area i think he would have done a lot better yeah like <laughs> if you don't have like it wasn't like a combined performance like really stood out yeah like an example like lj collier which is actually from my, like my area like mm-hmm. the big country like he had a fantastic like mm-hmm. combine and he ended up getting like a first round draft pick which shocked a lot of people but it wasn't like a com- for Kenyon Brown. It wasn't a combine performance. Like just like, oh my gosh, this man, mm-hmm. this person's amazing. It's just yeah. like kind of like an average. Would you say like an average like performance? Yeah, it was, it was average. Um, he's gonna another thing. He didn't have a lot of tape on him. He played one year, and they they basically had maybe what eleven games that they can really break tape, break down tape, mm-hmm. and that that kind of um, leads me to the the next uh, part of this this discussion is the possible draft picks for next year, which I, I, I've kind of started researching this now. Um, of course, you got the the big names like like Brian London. He um, So I'll, I'll break him down first. He's sitting at uh, his, his height. He's around 6'2", weighs 230 pounds. That's an ideal size for an NFL uh, linebacker. And he has four years, at, or this is going to be his fourth year of tape. So that's gonna that's gonna really help him get drafted, it, and I think he's gonna he's poised to have a really big year. Um, I mean, he led the team in tackles every year he's been on the team. Um, I don't know his forty time, but he he seems to be a quick player. We'll we'll see what happens. You won't, we won't know his forty time until um, till next off season. Um, you have any? Yeah, Brian London, like, just talking to him, like, watching the spring game, you can tell, like, that man is, like, the baddest man on the team. Like, he's always, like, the team leader. Yeah. And he's, like, one—I think he's one—probably one of the best, like, Sunbelt—not if the best Sunbelt linebacker in the conference. Don't you agree? Yeah. Oh, he's he's definitely up there. Uh, I didn't—I don't know about any of the other, other linebackers. I haven't really broke that down yet, but— um he he I think he he led last year. Uh he led the Sun Belt in tackles. Um he was I mean he's been good every year and um I think that's going to really help him out with all that tape on him and if uh we'll we'll see I think he got uh, the preseason all Sun Belt team. So like there's going to be some eyes on him all year. So and also his partner uh sitting next to him Nick Nick Daniels also he's at 6 foot 230 pounds. Like in the NFL, you want your guy um, when you're being um, looked at to like to be in the NFL linebackers. You typically want to be around the six foot mark and at least 230 pounds. So that that's those are NFL sizes. Uh, Nick Daniels he he ranks second on the team in tackles, right behind Brian London. Uh, uh, he is a, there's going to be a lot of preseason hype with with these two guys. So I, I think there's going to like I said earlier, there's gonna be a lot of people watching these guys, and the strength on this team going into 2019, the fall of 2019, is is how good their line, uh, their defense is, and linebackers is one of those strengths. And I'm look really looking forward to how the defense looks. And with Jake's with uh, Zach Spavital um, working the defense, it, it should be interesting because his defenses force a lot of turnovers. So we'll we'll, we'll see. They'll they'll be uh, um, they'll be a fun group to watch. How do you think that transition is going to go? Because I've been reading a lot about this Texas State defense, and it's kind of like a really almost like an opposite, like how mm-hmm. Zach Spavadol, like he's more like opportunistic, let's get turnovers, like mm-hmm. fumbles and all that stuff. And Texas State was more like, I guess, a conservative like defense. Yeah. I don't know how to. Chris, uh, Coach Woods last year, he was, 
he they they did do a lot of they worked on getting turnovers a lot. I I know after talking to him when he was still here, they used to use a, a large portion of of um, practice just trying to force fumbles. So that was a big part of it. And he, I was asked, I was trying to get him like, hey, what what are the what are the workouts? And they didn't really get into specifics, but that is, I know that's a big part of it. One thing they didn't do a lot was get a lot of interceptions. They got a lot of fumbles at once. One time last year, they were uh, one of the best one one of the best teams in forcing turnovers in the country. I think they had like a plus four at, at one point, mm-hmm. which was really good. I think it was like in the top twenty five in the country. So like they they've always been they were pretty good last year. Um, they had a young secondary. They had a lot of younger guys playing. So that's um, you have more experience. Experience is always going to be good, especially in that secondary. And we'll see spring in the spring games. They those guys didn't get to play a lot because a lot of injuries. So that's another thing. Um, also, uh, my my last player that I'm looking at is uh, Aaron Brewer. Uh, he's an offensive lineman. He's uh, sitting at six foot three, two hundred seventy pounds, which that's a it's a little undersized for an NFL player. You typically want around a six five guy uh, on the offensive line, two hundred eighty pounds. But I mean, you you could put that weight on a couple inches short. I don't. I don't we can go back to the whole Kyler Murray thing where they're <laughs> like the one inch like, oh, he's he's five nine. He's not going to be big. And I'm like, oh, he's five ten. Oh, game changer. That's yeah, totally different. Yeah. But uh, he's uh, he's he's another guy that that you have tons of tape on. He's been playing. Uh, he, I think he's played in every year also um, since uh, he was a Richard freshman. So you got you got the tape on him. Uh, last year, what hurt him a lot was the inexperience they had on the line. But other than that, like you, you uh, these guys are going to be more experienced. So um, depending on how how you know we saw in the spring game mm-hmm. how good the running game was, and you know when you see a team that runs a lot and they're really good at it, your offensive line gets more confident. So that's really what I want to look at. Um, Aaron Brewer is a guy guy to look at uh, going into the draft next year. Yeah, I think Aaron Brewer likes it. Just watching the offensive line, like I said, it seemed like they were really improved. I didn't see any mm. Texas State games last year, but I could mm. do like they were gaining some really yeah. good yards and like a really good like defensive, like probably one of the best like defensive like teams in the Sun Belt in Texas yeah. State. Yeah, like based on what I saw last year, because I covered him last year, and Aaron Brewer is a he's a mauler. He, he that dude's nasty. So I I think like he can really set set the tone. One thing to look forward to this uh, football team next year is how good they are on the trenches on both sides. Their front seven on defense is really good. That's going to be their strength. Offensive line, you got your returning experience. I'm, I'll assume that their offensive line is going to be really good next year, just based on experience. And then you have Aaron Brewer, your 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 leader over there. So, that, I I just think they're going to be a more physical team than people think. Uh, Zach Spavital. Uh, and Bob Stid, like these guys play um, that that spread off. Well, not really spread offense, more uh, just the the jet sweep type of offense that, that you're seeing around the country. That that a lot of people just think is is more uh, like precision type offenses that don't really see physicality. Mm-hmm. But you're going to see some physicality out of this. I, I'm I'm going to say that right now because I just think that's who they are. Yeah, out of that watching that spring game, like I could tell, like oh yeah, this is going to be like a really physical team. Like these <laughs> running backs aren't like kind of just. Yeah, four four like forties. These are like 
kind of 290 pounds, like we're going to run you over and we're going to take like at least five tacklers with us. That's where we're yeah. going to gain like five yards. Yeah, like so. Marshawn Lynch-esque. I'm not yeah. saying they have Marshawn Lynch uh, on this offense, but like they, they're they big and they're nasty and they're, they're, they're going to punish you. If we had a Marshawn Lynch type running back, I would enjoy like watching him play <laughs> in every interview. Like he would be the best. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, moving on. Um, you, you want to talk a little bit about the next year's schedule? Oh, yeah. So next year's schedule, it's going to be like a really good one for the Bobcats. Season opener, I'm not going to lie. We're open up with Texas A&M. And I'm not – if you're expecting Texas State to win, like, good for y'all. Like, <laughs> you are a really hardcore fan to yeah. really believe we're going to beat A&M. But A&M is, like, one of the best teams, not in the SEC, but probably in the nation. Mm-hmm. And to say, like, we got a chance, like, no, let's tamper those expectations down yeah. just a bit. But I do want to see this team, like, comp- at least compete with A&M. Like, don't, like, at least punch them in the mouth. And it's like, hey, we're not the old Texas State, like you've seen, like, in the past, like, mm-hmm. four years. Like, we're a different team, and, like, we're ready to, like, beat y'all on an off day. Yeah, the, the thing about Texas A&M, I'm really interesting to see – how this team plays, I um, there's going to be a lot of distraction with all the Jimbo Fisher um, mm-hmm. rumors because their AD left. I don't think Jimbo Fisher is going to leave. No, he's not, he's not leaving. No, <laughs> I know you don't want to <laughs> leave, <laughs> but uh, I, I I think uh, that's going to be a huge distraction. And I'm not saying Texas State is going to go out and beat them. <laughs> They're playing in Kyle Field. If they can, I, I just think that the fans should really show up for the for the Wyoming game. Oh yeah, because well, the, the Texas A and M, I think it's it's going to be big. It's going to be Thursday night. It's going to be, it, it, I, there's there's going to be a lot, around ten thousand uh, Texas State fans try uh, kind of in in there because because of the area, it's not that far away. But I I, I don't think it's going to come close. But going on to Wyoming, I think they should really come out. Uh, I think they have a they have a good shot at beating them. It's a toss up, right? Yeah, this Wyoming game is like. I hate to say that this is like a really crucial like game in order to get like to actually be like a bowl eligible team. Mm-hmm. Like so, if you don't know about Bill Conley, he's a writer for SB Nation. He does the S and P Plus like rating system, and what it is is an advanced analytical like college stat machine that produces like these stats and gives like really accurate like probabilities. And if you look at, at the Texas State like preview link. You'll see, like, they're a 46% chance at winning the game, which is about, like, a fi- basically a 50-50 toss-up. And considering, like, we're only favored, the only, the S&P Plus rating system projects us in, like, winning us five games. Mm-hmm. Like, this is one of the games that's going to be very crucial into getting, like, a bowl, to be bowl eligible. So Five wins is good. I That's, that's a little, that's about where I have them winning five games. Uh, winning against Wyoming would be really big because you, there's going to, I think a lot of people are going to come out. I think mm-hmm. people are really excited. You're going to have probably, if, if you win this game or don't win this game, this might be your, your biggest, uh, crowd of the year because it's opening, opening day. Um, and you, it's the, uh, Jake Spavital first game and you're probably going to have some recruits out there. So that's mm-hmm. going to be a, a big game to start off the season. Yeah. So Wyoming, uh, to be honest, like Wyoming is part of like the best like non Power Five conference in the Mountain West, mm-hmm. and to get and like I said to get like a big win over like a pretty decent like Wyoming team, they were bowl eligible like last year. They just yeah. didn't get picked to a bowl game. Mm-hmm. But if you get a win over like a really decent team, like Craig yeah. Bowl, like 
coaches the team. Like he's not like just a you know a shrub coach. Like he coached North Dakota State. Yeah. At one point, so if you program. get a win over Wyoming, this is going to set the tone for the rest of the season. Did you coach Carson Wentz? Yeah, he did. No, oh. was it? No, I think it was Chris Kleinsman that might have coached Carson Wentz. So he, oh, okay. Craig Bull might have coached Wentz when he was like a freshman <laughs> or sophomore. Oh, okay. But. Yeah, that, that's interesting. I, I that that can re- this game can really set the tone. It could potentially be the biggest game of the year, even yes. though it's the because you saw last year um, in some of the games where you the um there the games are su- really close. Like just win some of those early games, and you're that close for being bowl eligible. Mm-hmm. So like that game could be that could really be a one of the big games in program. Not saying program history. No, no, <laughs> I'm not gonna no, go. No, no, I'm not no. gonna get that hyperbolic, but. I, I think that could, I think that's a really big. Yeah, game. it's definitely going to make or break like the Bobcat season. It kind of depends on like the season opener, like what we're going to see. So, so which games are they predicting Texas State to win? So the S and P Plus system's got us over uh, Georgia State home game against Georgia State mm-hmm. home game against Nicholas State home uh, game against oh, Louisiana Nichols. Monroe mm-hmm. home game against South Alabama, and then a home, then on the road against Coastal Carolina. So that's about. Five, maybe six games up so, there. Yeah, favorite in and like <laughs> almost bowl eligible. Yeah, we're they're they're gonna take one. I, I I think they can. It would be big to get a bowl game first year. Jake's oh my Babbitt. gosh, that would be people, amazing. People lose their minds here, and it's just like how great um, athletics is doing right mm-hmm. now. Imagine you have basketball that was really great, uh, baseball that's. Doing fantastic. fantastic. Combined with the women's sports, the women's like- sports, and if you can get the marquee sport, which is football, that brings all, like you, you can get uh, how many people fit in that stadium? Like 40, 30, 40, get, 35,000? You can I'm guessing. get like, I think the highest attendance is like thirty three thousand. You can get like a good chunk of people yeah. to go to a football game. Yeah, you you start getting people excited about football. It that's a game changer. Especially when you're in a state like Texas where football is like religion. Yeah, especially in central Texas. Yes. We're in the Mecca right here. Mm-hmm. We're right between Austin and San Antonio, and this is one of the best sports towns in Texas, maybe even the country. <laughs> it's a great sports town. Uh, you have anything else to say about about the um, schedule? Yeah, like, there's going to be like conference games. There's going to be like two really important conference games that's going to matter, and it's both going to involve the Louisiana schools. Uh-huh. Monroe, we're about this. The S and P Plus system basically has this like neck and neck. Mm-hmm. Like we're rated like one hundred two, and I think Monroe's rated one hundred one or one hundred. Yeah. So like we are right on the edge, mm-hmm. and that's going to be an, it's another key game that we need to win yeah. in order to be bowl eligible. And then the Lafayette game, we're only like a forty one percent chance about winning, which mm-hmm. that's not too terrible. Like that's actually almost like a toss up game, depending. Yeah. On where it goes, and like I said, Lafayette is losing a lot from that uh, Sunbelt West Championship game. Like they're, I think they're actually trying to re, kind of rebuild, but they're still okay. like in contention. But it is another major game. But we have to go on the road to Lafayette, which and the uh, um and the the two top dogs. You got uh, Troy on the road and App State on the road. Yeah, that, those 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 are almost unwinnable games, but yeah. you never know. Yeah, the Troy game could be like an up. I you could I could see that as an upset considering Troy is going through a, a coaching change like they lost Neil Brown to West Virginia and they basically just replaced him with I guess but App State Chip Lindsay Chip, Lindsay. Chip Lindsay. Yeah. Chimp Lindsay is taking over at Troy and then at App State App State 
the S and P Plus system predicts like App State's going to be the team that's going to win the Sun Belt Conference Championship. Which sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. He was Auburn's offensive coordinator. Okay, okay, that could be interesting. Uh, Auburn's not really an offensive school. Um, I mean, Troy's all, they're they've been a defensive school. Mm-hmm. The pa- oh football team the the past couple years um, from from me following Sun Belt sports. They they've been a good defense team. Also, uh, App State since they've been in in. Uh, Division One school, they they've also been pretty good at on defense. That, that's kind of like the the mo of of the the good um, mid major schools. Yeah, it's usually App State, Troy, and Georgia Southern. Uh, that probably the three teams that are competing for the Sun Belt Championship game. But luckily, they're all in that East Division, mm-hmm. so you don't have to worry about them. But it's they're always going to be a tough out just because they're so. They've developed such great programs, and mm-hmm. like I said, Neil Brown did a really good job at oh, Troy. Yeah. He took that <laughs> pr- program from the ground up and basically built into like a Sun Belt power, which that's what we kind of hope Jake Spavadol does with Texas State, just taking a program just down the downtrend and now getting to where we can compete for Sun Belt championship games. Wow, he's at West Virginia now. That's mm-hmm. who plays uh, Dana Hogerson. Yeah. Yeah, so do uh, you have anything else about, about football? No, like I said, it. This season is going to depend, I think, on two things. It's how the offense, how Jake Spavadol is going to get this offense rolling, and who's mm-hmm. going to be the quarterback, and how Zach Spavadol and like the defense, how they're going to, how they're kind of basically opposite styles are just going to mesh together and see if, mm-hmm. see if they can find something where they, I guess, find like a middle ground or. Those are the two keys I think is going to be what you need to watch out for this season yeah. is how what how the quarterback is going to perform. Yeah. And then how the defense is going to react under Spavadol's like basically it's like Spavadol's like new direction. Yeah, I, I can I can piggyback on that too. Um, well, we're really what's going to be really big is seeing how the coaching uh, like Jake Spavadol's his first head coaching job. Uh, Bob Stid, it's his first Division One coaching job. So I, I'm really interested to see how these guys do with their uh, with this. This is a it's, this is a big time job for for. Both of those guys, mm-hmm. like it's um, your head coach of Division One school in in, in Texas, uh, Bob Sid in Texas. Like there, these games are going to be on uh, ESPN Plus with the with the new deal they just got. So like it, it's it's a big deal. So we'll see how they handle it. Uh, Spavadol's always been offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach. So now he has to overlook everything now. So uh, we'll just see how they how they handle things, how they react to things. So that that's going to be the main thing. Yeah, it's going to be a really exciting season, to be yeah. honest, because I think i never seen, like, I don't follow, like, a lot of Texas State football, but mm. just hearing from you and, like, from other mm. people, everyone's kind of like, oh, hell yeah, they can't yeah. wait for it, the it's, season to it's come. A, yeah, it's it's a lot of anxiety. We're like, oh, man, here yes. it comes. Like, it's a, it's a first time, like, mm-hmm. where, because... No, last year was just like oh let's uh, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll see how they take the next level. It's just they I think I think they're getting to they're getting to a good place, and mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of things to look forward to. Optimism, um, <laughs> yeah, it's always like that with the new head coach and young guy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that they'll do it uh, for our, our football segment. Uh, thanks for listening to us. This cat's got our tongue. This is Sean, and this is Colton. Boom, and welcome back. Me and Zimmer are back, just as promised. Um, yeah, I'm sure that was a great pod class, Claire. Good job. <laughs> it's good stuff all around. I really like what Sean had to say about the NFL draft. And, I mean, there's a lot of things he says that are really wrong, and he probably said a bunch of really wrong things, but he was right a couple of times. 
Well, he was right last week in that Keenan Brown and Tyler Watts didn't get drafted. But I think that was pretty much on everybody's radar. Yeah, it's it's okay to be right about, like, you know, sad things. But that's not something you really put on your wall of, hey, I was correct about this. So, Zimmel, I brought you in here specifically today to talk about uh, sports as a career and sports journalism as a medium for storytelling. You've been a sports reporter pretty much your entire time at the Star, starting at your freshman year. And then, you know, when you went to the other side of the radio, the dark side, <laughs> as it were, um, you were still doing sports and doing like sports stuff. And now you're doing more like sports analysis, sort of like personality type stuff. Does anybody give you, uh, does anybody give you any like talk about, hey, you're just a sports reporter? So, there's a term for it in the industry. It's called a sports porter. <laughs> so, no, and I mean, there is like, there are people who kind of say, like, hey, listen, this is what you do. This is your pigeonhole. And I fought against it really hard my freshman year when they said, hey, like, you're just a sports guy and you're the sports dude. And I mean, I kind of pushed against that. I was like, well, I can do all these other things. But it turns out that this is what I'm really, really, really good at because in sports and sports reporting, you get to tell really cool stories. You get to kind of there's a little bit of an investigative side to it you kind of figure out like are the numbers backing up what people are saying about this and i mean for the most part it doesn't have to deal with crime i don't have to like get uh freedom of information acts i don't have to go and try to bust down the mayor's door or president trout's door to go talk to him i mean there's a little bit of a pushback with like sids a little bit like hey i want to have this you know basketball coach come on my podcast and talk to me about women's hoops they might say, hey, like, you know, that's probably not the best idea. So there's a little bit of a pushback at some at some spots, but I don't think nearly as much pushback as you would in, like, news. And for, like, a career, so here's the thing. So I always knew I wanted to do sports radio. I always knew I wanted to write the columns. I never was good at the here's a history paper, write the history facts. I was always good at the what does this mean? Like, what does this historical event mean? What does this sports event mean? to the grand, grand picture and professors at texas state professors at anywhere will tell you look you need to do the reporting side you need to do all this before you can do the next step well i hate to break the glass ceiling and burst their bubble on this but no you get to do whatever you want right and i mean that's i'm a good enough journalist capital j right now that i have my name in print i'm capital j journalist with you jacob you've been pretty good too you've had some really good stuff in print lately i'm a look capital j journalism brick by brick jacob that's what we are you're student first then journalist oh for sure exactly you know, student well, of the game well that's the thing it's the other thing is too that when you go to the school that you cover right if i went to oklahoma and i had to write about kyler murray i'm not going to say well he's 510 and he's kind of a scrambling quarterback, and he might not work in the NFL. No, I'm going to say, no, Kyler Murray is going to be the best quarterback in NFL history. Like, because I'm a fan of my school. I go to my school. If I didn't wasn't a fan of my school, I would have gone somewhere else. So that's kind of the problem, too, with, like, student media is that, you know, the whole no cheering in the press box. Okay, I get that. But it's when you're outside of the press box that people really start, like, looking at you differently. Like, if I'm writing an article about Nigel Pearson, all of a sudden people think I hate my school if I say – Nigel struggling or if you know Ryan Newman isn't hustling out a hit to first base and I say he's got a hustling problem all of a sudden people are like oh Zimbel doesn't care about his school or Zimbel hates the, the team 
No, I'm just a fan of my team, and that's what fans do. They, Zimmel's they a closet UT fan. Oh, for sure. I get that. <laughs> I get that a lot. And that's the thing. You got to rotate the jerseys so nobody knows like who your true affiliations for are. For perspective, too, <laughs> I want everybody to know that he's wearing a, a Vikings jersey right now and a Aaron, Yankees cap. Oh yeah, Aaron Barr jersey because we're trying to knock uh, knock today out of play. We're trying to put put him on the IR. So for perspective, also, I mean, when you started at the Star, you were in sports. When I started at the Star, I was in opinions. Then I worked my way onto news, did some investigative stuff, ran into some of the problems that you were talking about, and just sort of came onto the scene as sports and basically had a meeting with Rick Poulter, the lead SID, and he was like, the world is your oyster. Do whatever you want. Like, you know, kind of whatever, you know? Oh, yeah, no, it's totally – I think it's 100% different. Like, people want to say news and sports are kind of similar. We put them in the same area. They usually share the same cubicles in the office. But in reality, news is out there having to figure out who killed, you know, Jr. We're trying to figure out why Jr. Smith's shooting percentage is so low on Tuesday nights. You know that it's. I think it's really different. It's a good soapbox <laughs> callback. <laughs> good job, Zibble. Yeah. Um. I I don't know. I think also it's it's a lie to say that sports journalism is entirely pure. Also, I feel like there's inherent bias in sports journalism because. When I cover Texas State, I mean, I go here, you know, I want these guys to win. When they don't win is when I have a problem. I think it'd be different if we were, like, covering UTSA. Exactly. Like, if we lived in San Marcos and had to go and cover UTSA, I think we'd have, like, a you know blind eye to it. We would just, there's no rose-colored glasses. We're saying what we think. And I think student media, that's tough. That's a, you know, it's a tough, tough uh, line to walk, tough rope to uh, walk across there. Not being too opinionated uh, for the favor of your team, but at the same time, you can't, you know, hate on your team as much. I will be the first person to say that I have leaned one one way too far on either side before, where things are clearly going down, and I've been like, no, it's it's working out. Things will work out in the end. At the same time, things are working out just fine, and I have said things that probably have, you know, soured the punch a little bit. So it, it's a tough line to walk. And I've cheered in the press box and gotten thrown out. So, I mean, yeah. You're a couple right. of real journalists here. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like, to my credit, I have a little, you know, I have some clout. I don't know. Nick and Kev, who are very active on Texas well, State did, Twitter. Did you see this? That Nick's no longer the sports editor. He's the, not. No, he, yeah, he's having success the same as I am. So I guess you can succeed in sports and then move on to a higher level in any publication or media conglomerate. We'll use this uh, chance to shout out Drew King. Who's now the sports editor of the Daily Record? What which a guy. is uh, he's a he's a nice guy. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to see what he does there. Yeah, and and Nick is the interim managing editor at the Record, also. So shout out to both of those guys. Yeah, big moves on both their parts. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think that's uh, that pretty much wraps everything up for this episode of Cats Got Our Tongue. This is episode seven, so pretty excited to see where this goes. Is this in the, the future. last episode? Are we doing another one next week? Uh, no, we're going to keep this going. Okay. You know how UTSA ruined Texas State's 10-game winning streak? We have to go at least 11 now in a row <laughs> just as a, you know. A callback to them re- winning one game. No, I understand that. Yep. Mm-hmm. So we tied that, that series for the entire season, right? Mm-hmm. Damn. Go back and listen to what they had to say, Jacob, because I guarantee you they talked about baseball. Oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. I guess I got to listen to this episode. All right. Well, eat them up, cats. See y'all later. Thank <laughs> you.